You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's a guest speaker. We have Rob Weber, managing partner at Great North Labs. And in this episode, we'll talk about how Rob got into VC after being a founder for over 20 years. How did this transition happen? How is he running his fund right now? What does he invest in? And by the end, we'll also talk about fun stuff that Rob sees in his daily life, specifically some fun pitches that he heard from founders. So Rob, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Great North Labs. Yeah, thanks for having me today. I'm an avid podcast listener, and I always I think it's a great way to share insights. So my name again is Rob Weber. I, I uh, have an identical twin brother, Ryan. Uh, we just turned 41 years old. We've been building software companies since we started as teenagers and when we were 15, 16 years old in the kind of 1995, 96. And uh, we kind of grew up lower, kind of middle income. And our first, huh, the internet was just exploding onto the scene in the mid to late 90s, as anyone who's a little older uh, can attest to. And by the time we got to college in 2000, we launched a publishing and advertising technology company and uh, out of the dorm rooms of a university in Minnesota. And we ended up raising a small angel round, 320 grand. And then Ryan and I uh, you know, recruited a team and ended up taking this company through 16 years, uh, bootstrapped to 70 million in revenue and 10 million in EBITDA. Uh, we ended up having multiple exit events for ourselves. The first of which was in 2005 when we sold about a third of the company to a PE fund out of Boston. Uh, and, you know, with the proceeds from selling that, that initial exit, my brother Ryan and I at age 25, 26, were first exposed to the wonderful world of early stage tech investing. And we did continue to scale our operating business uh, through its final exit in 2016. Uh, and then, but, but along the way, we started to, you know, not only make investments, but have quite a bit of success. And so it's been really fun being on both sides of the tables for, you know, the last sort of 15 years and as an operator for, you know, more than 20, I'd have to say also, you know, doing this full time and uh, investing full time the last three and a half years. Uh, it's also been, uh, it's also been very different, I guess, you know, running a venture fund versus being, you know, essentially an angel investor. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, it, I've really enjoyed it, but yeah, well, I'm based here in the twin cities, although we invest kind of have a bias towards investing in kind of the Midwest, although we do look at deals around the country. Got it. Understood. So first question is about your entrepreneurial experience. So you've been an entrepreneur for pretty much over 20 years. Your major takeaway, you know, from all those years of being a founder yourself, what's your major takeaway? Well, I have to say that I think some people try to fast track their careers and they don't really invest in learning the skills that are required, you know, to do their job. And that wasn't the case with my brother, Ryan, and I, you know, we, by the time we started our business in 2000, you know, we had definitely logged our 10,000 hours of, you know, sort of a development time, you know, for us designing, you know, web graphics, building websites, really basic, uh, you know, you know, kind of online systems and all of that was kind of, uh, you know, something we just, it was a labor of love for us. It was really a hobby, but it really allowed us to hone our skills. 
And I think that's sort of true of almost anything. I think if you want to be good at it, you got to stick to it. I think the main difference nowadays for founders or for even for VCs, there's just an abundance of insights that are traded online, that are traded you know, pretty freely on social media. I'm a big fan of Twitter. And I think it's never been easier to sort of develop the skills and insights that you need to grow your career if you just you know, are sort of self-motivated and go after it, right? And I think that was really the case with my brother and I. I think we were always very self-motivated. As identical twins, we're very competitive. So we always wanted to sort of, you know, be, you know, improve our skills and be, you know, be, you know, stronger than the other twin, right? So I think that was a, a really healthy dynamic. And I think whether you're running a fund or running a startup, I think just committing yourself to sort of, you know, your own individual growth and in leveling up your own skills. I think that's really the keys to long-term success. Nice. Yes, that's very accurate. And, you know, those 2000, I mean, 10,000 hours, that's something that's really important and something that people don't quite understand when they become startup founders. So next question about your previous success was as a founder of the multiple startups. So you had multiple acquisitions. Uh, what do you think enabled you to get there? You know, what do you think made this whole, you know, overall success possible? I, it, it's interesting because I know this isn't like a popular opinion of how to build a software company, but I, you know, with the way I grew up and my brother grew up, like we didn't understand you could even raise money. And so we would only really invest the money that we would generate. And that just sort of was the limiting to our growth. And when you're sitting in, we were at the time in St. Cloud, Minnesota, there was no such thing as venture capital, let alone there were really no angel investors. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, I think sometimes there's a little too much pressure. Founders think they have to raise money. Uh, I honestly, the advice I would give to founders is you're in a much better position of strength if you have developed your skills and you can, you sort of have a default option of staying alive without raising money. You know, it's great in certain business models you know, potentially to raise money to grow faster. Maybe there's some inherent network effects or switching costs or what have you. But I think at the end of the day, if you're sort of default alive, you know, with your startup, because you can sort of, you know, you can drive the execution, you're in a much stronger position. And I know that's easier said than done, but look, I, we did it with zero money to start with. I really think anyone can do it if they really commit their minds to it. Yeah, not to say you should never raise money, but I think, it's important to demonstrate execution too, right? So. Absolutely, 100% execution. Everything is based on execution. If nothing's happening in the company, if the company is not generating money, why the hell should investors invest? So that's very accurate. So speaking of investors, moving on to the next question, how did this transition of yours from a, from a founder to a VC, how did this happen? It was, uh, it wasn't actually a really obvious one. Uh, I spent after we sold our company in 2016, I spent about a year, you know, just mapping out what should the next chapter of, you know, sort of my career be. And I, you know, I had always enjoyed investing and providing support to other founders. Uh, we had made a number of comparable investments to what we're doing with great North labs, you know, through our personal balance sheet. And I guess, that, so, you know, for me, I guess one of the things I learned about, you know, uh, running a company is I'm much more of a startup guy. Uh, you know, our company scaled to 170 employees in Minnesota and San Francisco. You know, we had clients all around the world, but I really enjoyed 
I really enjoyed that sort of like the, even the team size, like from like zero to say 20 or zero to 50, you know, those early days of getting a company started, you know, I've learned a lot about management and leadership. So then when I started mapping out options that could keep me in that stage, I thought, well, running an early stage fund would map to that. That would sort of ensure I would stay in that stage, right? You know, that's sort of the curse of being a successful founder. Unless you walk away from your business, you know, you might be in that business for 10 or 20 years, you know, if you keep growing it or whatever. And so I felt like if I wanted to, you know, stay involved in startups, then running an early stage fund would allow me to, do, you know, but would be a good platform to do so. And so that's what really you know, led us to 2017 founding Great North Labs. It was a $23.7 million fund one, one of the largest debut seed funds in the history of the Midwest. Really nice. proud. You know, we have a many of the most successful founders and operators who are sort of friends of mine who, you know, quickly came in and supported us. And really, uh, I think, you know, as these other founders and operators really understand the value of strong execution. And I think, I think this is more common on the coast, you know, like say in the Bay Area or maybe LA, we have ex-founders kind of, you know, go on to start funds. You know, sadly, that hasn't really been as much the case in the middle of the country. And I think it's it's kind of a, a little bit of a unique uh, origin story to do that here. Mm -hmm. True. So before we move on and talk a little bit about, you know, how you managed to run your businesses with your twin brother and how you run the fund with your twin brother again, uh, one more question. Why Midwest? Why did you decide to start investing in Midwest? I, uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, we don't want to be real insular, but we do believe, uh, you know, in the Midwest. I think I pulled some data from Crunchbase. They did a report on this in terms of the median return on invested capital. The Midwest exits of all the regions in the U.S. actually produce the highest uh, return. Uh, I'm happy to share the link if, in the show notes or something if you're interested. Uh, so I think inherently there's a little there's although there is capital here, there's other funds. You know, it's not as an abundant as say New York or maybe uh, San Francisco, let's say, or Boston. And so I think because of that, uh, there tends to be a bit more capital efficiency here, and I think that leads to better investor returns. Uh, and, and then I guess the other side of that is. You know, we just have an incredible network of founders and operators as investors, and that just gives us incredible, you know, early deal flow. You know, oftentimes the place that founders go to first when setting out on that new startup journey is seeking the counsel of founders who have not just started a company, but have scaled a company. And so we've got just a you know, tremendous partnership of some of the most successful founders who, you know, they can provide their capital they're also very interested in providing guidance and mentorship, which is kind of, you know, something we were really fortunate to have with, uh, although we we bootstrapped our company, we did raise an angel round and we were really lucky, you know, uh, the investors great return in my brother and I, our, our prior startup, but we consider ourselves very lucky to get the mentorship from these two angels who joined our board and, you know, mentored us for 10 plus years. Nice. So again, before moving on to the next topic, I just had to ask the follow-up question on the mentorship. I think I feel like this is extremely important, especially on early stages, especially for first-time entrepreneurs. How would you recommend those founders who are just, you know, joining this startup world? How would you recommend them finding those mentors who could be those, you know, guides for the first, especially the first, you know, five years? Oh, that's a great question. You know, for us. 
sort of organic, I think I actually, if I just looped, if I just sort of grouped together all the service providers, I think it's accountants and lawyers and, you know, in the we were in St. Cloud, Minnesota, not exactly the hotbed of technology, <laughs> uh, you know, and, but I, you know, I had, I've gotten to know uh, a local business attorney and he introduced me to a friend who lived on the lake in central Minnesota as him. And it turned out this guy was a public company tech CEO in Silicon Valley. Uh, name is Young Simone. You know, Young, you know, fast forward now, Young is currently the chief strategy officer at Samsung. So he I, is, uh, you know, he, if we were mentored by a pretty impressive guy, you know, in, at a young age, he actually brought uh, a friend along from the Bay Area, Pradeep Madan, who had been a long friend of his from college at Wharton. And he, uh, they, although they both started their careers after Wharton at Intel and in product roles, you know, 30 plus years ago, whatever it was. And so the, it was sort of very accidental, you know, it was just kind of, but I think it's just sort of, you got to put your name out there. You got to make sure you want, as an entrepreneur, you want people to be aware of what you're building. You know, it's so hard to, no one can do it on their own. You want to get advice from people. And even in, even in these more, you know, say rural or, you know, smaller communities, you'll be surprised at what kind of people might step up to try to help you. And I guess that's one of the reasons we launched a fund is to kind of pay it forward. Like that was a very kind of coincidental, accidental connection we had. <laughs> to be frank, we were never even trying to raise money. We didn't really need the money at the time. We were already kicking off 50 grand a month in free cash flow for my hobby businesses. But, you know, we were just really excited to connect with people who could kind of, you know, just had that kind of experience. So Pradeep, actually became the third partner in our venture fund. So it's kind of a full circle moment. Nice. You know, we had known each other through our board. And then he's now, uh, as he sort of moved on in his career, he kind of called us up when he heard we were launching a fund. And, you know, we already had many, many years of experience together. So he joined us from Silicon Valley as our third partner. That's real cool. And that's just perfect story of manager. If you absolutely loved it, sounds extremely optimistic. Love it. So now let's move on to the topic that I want to discuss from the very beginning, which is, you know, running a company, running a fund, running any kind of enterprise together with your sibling or any other relative. How, how does it work? What are the major pros and cons? And the major question is how do investors react to this when they see on the beach deck that a co-founder or, you know, some kind of executive is your brother, your sister, or any other relative? Ah, it's a really good question. I know the whole family dynamic, I think it is actually not that uncommon in business. I would say, though, uh, twins starting a fund or a startup together is purely <laughs> uncommon. True. And I guess at least, you know, from a sibling's identical twin standpoint, you know, we have this burning, we've been competitive since birth, you know, like we are the about the most competitive people you could ever meet. And I think this inherent kind of healthy com competition that we create among us, you know, really is a pretty, you know, it's a wonderful motivating factor. I think the other opportunity, you know, in a family business is, you know, often what the biggest, one of the biggest risk factors, whether it be in a fund or a startup, is that, you know, you might have the founding partners of a business, let's say, just, you know, have some kind of, you know, uh, you know, irreconcilable differences and they break apart and then the, the business or fund goes sideways, right? Well, I would like to think that if you have a, you know, a trusting relationship with a brother, let's say, the odds of that happening and you leaving your brother hanging or something, you know, the, that the bonds yeah. that are formed, you know, it's, it's not likely to happen. So I think there are strengths. 
I think though you need to also understand which hat you have on. You know, is it your family hat? Is it your work hat? You know, if you were to talk to our wives, uh, my wife's name is Jesse. My brother's wife Ryan's name is Melissa. You know, we're constantly talking about work at every hour. We call each other probably you know five times a day. We're you know at every family gathering we're talking about work. I think we've gotten better as we've aged at like you know sort of shutting that off at times, but. You know, I can't, I'd say that's probably the, the greater weakness is just how, you know, entrepreneurs tend to get pretty consumed in what they're doing. If they're good at, you know, I think that's a common trait. And, you know, when you start mixing the family, I think that is the risk that you just have to, you know, try to be self-aware of that and try to try to create at least some separation as much as possible. That's mm -hmm. probably, there's probably more risk of maybe even burning out a little bit. If, if you're always, you know, if your own family is surrounding your, you know, your business activity, there's a, less of a shot of like leaving it at the door when you come home or whatever. So. Absolutely. And that's, but I, super think, I think skills. it's positive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 You've touched onto an extremely valuable point. That's something a lot of people actually forget. And that's something I personally forgot back in the days when I was trying to start a startup myself with my brother. That was a big issue. Honestly, like 24 seven, you talk about the same exact thing. And, you know, even <laughs> half a year into this, you're like, oh, no way. I'm dying here. Okay. So be, be careful with this. Try to figure out, you know, how to separate work and business, uh, even if you're running business with someone who is part of your family. So yeah, definitely pay attention to this. So now let's talk a little bit more about uh, Great North Labs. Can you tell us a little bit more what you like to invest in, what stage, what field, and we already know geography, Midwest. Yeah, so gr Great North Labs, uh, we, we prefer, well, we're an early stage fund. Our sweet spot is kind of entering at seed stage. Very rarely we'll invest a little bit earlier, kind of like pre-product. But I would, and then from time to time, we'll kind of enter a new business at series A or series B. But typically we like to invest at sort of seed stage. Our typical check sizes in the past were more like, you know, for first checks, we're kind of like 250 grand to a million dollars. Now that uh, uh, we're kind of growing our, our fund a little bit, you know, our typical first check will be more like, you know, $500,000 to maybe a million or a little more than that even. And so if you think about a typical like seed round, often they're between say half a million and 3 million. We're in a good position to lead more often than I think we've led half the rounds we're in. We've co-invested in the other half. So we're pretty in, uh, indifferent. Uh, and I'd say with the size of checks we're investing in, you know, often we're waiting on seed funds to participate with us in rounds we lead, as well as from time to time, there's, you know, availability for smaller syndicates or angels to invest with us. Uh, in mm -hmm. terms of the markets, we're, a, we're more of a generalist fund. We have probably more of a bias towards, you know, software enabled businesses, although we do have three or four of our first 24 investments have some kind of device of some kind. Uh, with that said, I would say the business models were very, we find ourselves most commonly into like enterprise SaaS, online marketplaces. And then also with my prior background, we're really interested into, you know, social applications and, uh, you know, online communities. So. You know, we're as a journalist fund, uh, we're very interested in different business models. Uh, I would say in terms of verticals, we've been pretty active in supply chain and logistics, hospitality and property tech, real estate tech, uh, as well as you know, certain enterprise uh, related applications, kind of future of work. We've done very well with kind of like uh, 
these sort of gig economy type of business models or HR tech. Uh, it's been a really good, good business for us to be in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, we're pretty pretty diversified. We're, we'll kind of look at anything. We stay. I would say one one of the prerequisites. We like to be in businesses that have a fast path to commercialization. So we're not going to be doing you know medical devices or you know other kinds of business models that might take five or ten years before they reach commercialization. Uh, we really like to get into businesses that can scale fast once we uh, we're a part mm -hmm. of them. Nice. Yes, it does sound like you're well diversified. I like this. I personally like uh, journalist investors. So now that we've touched on this, uh, going back to something that we've discussed in our pre-interview call, which is the fact that you are very heavily focused on the customer feedback. So for founders, it's sometimes it's challenging to you know assemble all this customer feedback, especially in the beginning of their journey when they have very very few customers. So, how would you recommend those founders you know approach this problem of gathering feedback, collecting it, and presenting it to investors in a you know easily understandable form? Yeah, there. I'll give two answers to that. Uh, number one, if you're pre-product launch, I'll tell you what as a a phone, this is what I want to see. I want to see founders who are practicing disciplined approach to entrepreneurship. And what I mean by that is, if you want to get me excited about your sort of pre-product launch startup, show me your customer interview notes. Uh, you know, with you know, hopefully it's not two either. You know, and send me the send me a zip file with your ten or twenty customer interviews or more, and then maybe summarize for me what you see as the you know, the feedback you're getting from these customer interviews. What are you learning? How is it shaping? How has that helped you map the problem you're trying to solve? How have you done any, have you had conversations around solution and solution testing? And kind of let me see your disciplined approach to mapping out this startup that you're about to build or you are in the process of building. That's number one. Number two, if you're sort of post product launch, uh, I would recommend uh, you know, for one, most VCs are going to do reference calls on your customer. If you want to fast track, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a decision, you can, you know, that I'm going to call your some of your customers anyway. Why, do, why not prepare a series of, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the same kind of customer interviews. Maybe you can interview your customers as references and just share me your notes. You know, there's no reason I can make those 10 calls or you can make the calls and make it easy, faster for me to just read it. You know, right? If you want to accelerate your fundraising, you know, uh, customer references are super valuable. I'd say the other kind of, you know, I guess maybe the third thing I would say would be know the core kind of KPIs of success for your type of business and your type of business model. And what I mean by that, I'll give you an example. I recently wrote a blog post on how to invest in consumer uh, startups for the Chicago, you know, it's a part of the Chicago Business Journal. And mm -hmm. the reason I wrote that post is I've come across, there's not a lot of consumer startups in the middle of the country. There are some though. And what I found is the VCs in the middle of the country really don't understand the metrics for success in, in what drives like social networks or, you know, consumer internet companies. And so I wrote this blog post and I, I'd say the same is true for most of the founders. You know, what they come to me with is all these like cumulative stats. Like my mobile app's got 7,000 downloads. We have 4,000 monthly active users, and it's like all these vanity metrics. 
you know, in the early stages of consumer, what really matters most are the input and output metrics. For example, you know, if you're building a, a camera app like Instagram, what are, how, how many of the users, how many users upload at least one photo? How many up users upload 10 photos? Might mm -hmm. be, and then like, how does that translate into your retention and engagement measures? If you come to me and just say, I've got this camera app and I have 10,000 downloads, will you invest? I, I'm just like, either you don't know the metrics of success for your business or you do and they're not good and you just don't want to show them <laughs> to me. Either way, that's not good, right? The same can be said for enterprise, you know, very different metrics for an enterprise startup. Uh, and similarly, maybe for online marketplaces, which may be a two-sided market or more. If, and it, by the way, if you don't know what those metrics are, it's freely available on the internet. You know, this is something that wasn't true 20 years ago. You can find the metrics of success for every kind of business model. And if you, I mean, if you want to get faster decisions on from investors, I would say just understand those metrics of by stage and make sure that you, you know, you're speaking to what the, you know, the venture firms want to see, right? Mm -hmm. Nice. Yes, a very accurate. I love, especially the part where you meant that uh, founders actually need to run customer interviews by themselves and just share the notes with all investors so that all those investors don't have to make those calls individually by themselves, each and every one of them. So yeah, that's a great advice right there. So now that we've discussed all these serious questions, all got all this great advice from you, um, let's move on to a fun part of it. What is the craziest or funniest speech that you've ever heard in your career? I don't know if it was really funny, but it was, I found it really interesting. Uh, the former uh, FanDuel co-founder started a new company called Starstock, which was sort of this hybrid of uh, basically it's for the sports card industry. And I'm a, uh, as a hobby, my brother Ryan and I are pretty serious sports card collectors. Nice. And uh, so Starstock, uh, you know, the, the legacy industry of trading cards uh, I have to say, like, I think back of the, some of the early analytical skills that we developed that kind of were precursors to, you know, launching a, a startup and then eventually a fund. We learned a lot by buying and trading sports cards. And so Starstock, uh, there's a, maybe a handful of companies like this uh, that are creating new models, uh, you know, new startup models around like collectibles and trading. And I'm, I just love it because I it kind of, I think for a lot of, there's a lot of nostalgia for people who grew up, you know, collecting Know, my, whether it was comic books or stamps or coins or sports cards I, and I think it, for any of the, anyone who has kids I think that's a really great you know if you were to encourage your kids to kind of develop these kind of business skills or analytical skills I think getting your kids involved in that kind of a hobby but I just love to see these startup founders who are uh, you know are uh, starting to emerge uh, you know in the in this category because it's kind of not a lot of innovation over the last 20 30 years sure that's actually really cool I'm not that much into sports cards per se, but I love strategic board games that involve a lot of uh, statistical stuff. So yes, that's actually a really cool advice. And yeah, on this positive, optimistic note, we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So Rob, what do you want the listener to do as soon as this episode is over? I would say follow me on Twitter, Robert. I'm really looking to, you know, get, you know, meet more people and it's probably the best way to stay engaged with me. And uh, I guess maybe beyond that is, uh, and if you follow me on Twitter, let me know of a book that has, that has changed 
you know, some aspect for you, you know, in your career or some skill development. I'm a pretty, uh, pretty avid reader. I would credit a lot of my success to just constantly, you know, reading about new, you know, business practices or, and I also love to read like the hero story of other entrepreneurs. So I'm always looking for like a good book. And, and if you're an emerging entrepreneur VC and you're interested in a few book recommendations, you know, drop me a tweet and I'll tell you a few that were the most sort of like, you know, core to my, I, I think to my own success in terms of influences on my own sort of thought process. Nice. Yeah, I certainly, I, I recently read a book on sales, which seemed to be pretty good. So I'll check in with you to see if you read this. And if not, I'll, uh, I highly recommend you this. Anyhow, on this optimistic and useful note, we're going to wrap it up. My call to action is going to be check the description of this episode. I'll leave a link to Rob's Twitter in it. So if you're curious to talk more about, you know, what, uh, the at uh, Great North Labs are up to, or what Rob is working on right now, or any questions, or whatever it is, check out the description of this episode. His contact information is going to be there. Also, link to Great North Labs is going to be there, and maybe I will leave a link to that book that I just mentioned on sales as well, just for those who are trying to figure it out. Yes, I'm pretty sure I'll do this. So yes, go to the description of this episode, check out all the links, and as usually. Have a good day.